Welcome to In the Woods. I'm James Woods, aka William Moore, the author of Sparrows Valley and the Twisted Fairy Tale series, and co-founder of Majavi. If you need to get out of your own way and learn how to traverse the not-so-happy path in your career, I want to help you dig through the weeds and get to the roots of what may be holding you back from growing and succeeding in your industry. The mindset when you have to overcome when things don't go your way. So join me in the woods. Welcome to In the Woods. I'm James Woods, aka William Moore, the author of Sparrows Valley and the Twisted Fairy Tale series, and co-founder of Majapi. If you need to get out of your own way and learn how to traverse the not so happy path in your career, join me in the woods. So today I have a very special guest, uh, Maurice. I would like to, he's actually one half of a group that actually just went out, put his first album out, Serenity Muse, with his partner, Ronston, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Ronston. Mm -hmm. So definitely might be looking to get him on the show a little bit later, speak to about his story. But definitely want to get into you, Maurice. You're a guitar player. You do backup singing. You actually released your first album early this year. You're releasing your, or you're working on your next album now. Yeah. So you've done some musical scores uh, for some films. You've done some stuff with Twitch. You, you've been in this industry for a while. Mm-hmm. And I know as an independent artist, I'm not sure if I know people do independent. Right. Was this something that, how did you decide that? What was, was this something you focused on mm-hmm. or was this something that kind of you fell into? Music has always been a passion and it's always been around me all my life, even from a child. Um, give my dad some props because he was behind all that. Um, he sang for North Jersey Philharmonic Glee Club for 25 years. <clears throat> oh, wow. Yeah, so I grew up watch, watching them perform at various churches, stadiums. They've done some stuff like uh, singing the national anthem, Nets games. I think they did a hockey game once. I'm, not, I'm going through my memory, and I definitely remember Yankee Stadium a couple of times them singing national anthem there. So... It was about oh wow, so he's a man. Yeah, so it was. It wasn't just him by himself. It was thirty members. They were all African American males, and it was a choir. And it was the most amazing thing I've seen. Like coming up is trying to be or thinking about being a musician at an early age. So it's always been. So a- your dad was would he sing or did he play or what was he sang. What exactly? He sang. Okay, he so sang. he was part of the bass section of the choir. I was almost going to say baritone, but it's wrong. <laughs> it's the bass section. So as I said, it was like 30 members, all African-American males, uh, female conductor, also African-American. So I actually, you know, music was always in my house as well. So it was like he was always playing jazz, classical. Mom was playing R&B. My grandmother played gospel on the piano. And she was my first teacher, actually, to get into instrumentation with the piano. Didn't stick with it long because I was like three and a half, four years old. <laughs> <laughs> so you play so you play multiple instruments. Yeah, I mean I started with piano. Um then I had a teacher. My first teacher was Mrs. Mayfield. She was a uh she was also a choir director in our church. And I was about 4 years old, but it only went so far because you get bored, you want to be out playing, you don't want to be sitting on a piano trying to get your two-handed scales together. But it wasn't until I was about 7 then I picked up saxophone. Then I really started getting into music and music teacher. Uh, as being taught music. I bought my first electric guitar when I was 18. My dad had an old beat-up acoustic in the house, and I was always messing with that, too. So I guess I'll, when I was messing around with the instrumentation from saxophone to drums to bass guitar and then settle on guitar, I was just trying to find what I liked the most. 
and then once the guitar started, I, I just never went back to any other instrument. I settled right there. Okay, cool. I actually have some musical background in my family. Okay. Just, I've never played anything. My my grandfather, because you said saxophone is why I thought about it, is Jimmy Woods. Mm-hmm. He's actually in the jazz encyclopedia. He's out in Cali. He passed away a few years ago. Oh, okay. But we've had fam- music in the family. I had a, a cousin, my mom, mm-hmm. uh, my aunt, uncles. Everyone played instrument. I just... I always just went into literary, but I've always been fascinated by music, how you can create this, these rhythms that can get me to actually groove and feel a certain way right. out of thin air. Mm-hmm. That's always been something that's always kind of blown me away. Yeah. So you started playing the guitar when you were 15. 18. How did you... Oh, 18. 18. I settled on guitar. Okay, 18. 18. When did you decide to really start taking it seriously where, you know what, uh, I want to create a band, I want to start performing, you know, try to make something of it? Um... Let's see. So I was 18. I started taking lessons then too. I actually took lessons on my 18th birthday. That was the first start. Uh, my first teacher's name was Randy Ferry. Unfortunately, I don't know where he is these days or I haven't seen him in a long time because my family moved out of Maplewood and I stopped taking lessons from him. But I actually learned enough from him that I was on my own for about a year, maybe two years. And then I was picking up stuff. Actually, I what I learned, what it's called visual learning. Okay. I kind of learned that, uh, taking an accelerated learning class at Musicians Institute, um, that I can watch somebody play and then pick up what they're doing, which is most guitars in the first place. A lot of guitars learn that way by just watching somebody else play guitar, if you're fortunate enough to do that, because not everybody can, and just right. play it back, you know, or play it back as closely as possible. You know, because there was at that time, I didn't know how to play lead or scales or anything like that. That came later. Um, I was picking up some stuff with Randy Ferry, but I was playing what is called in a box pentatonic scale all the time. So I would find what key it is just by listening and then try and do a melody solo with my hands, you know, playing music. But that's how it pretty much started. Like, But I didn't write my first song for quite a while after. So when you first started with the music, were you a solo act or have you always been in a group? I've always been in a group the earlier years before I picked up guitar. I always had like a self-consciousness about me playing guitar. So I felt, always felt I wasn't ready to play guitar in a band so or to play with other guys that have been playing bass for a long time or drums for a long time, even at that age, you know, because I was hanging around a lot of older guys that were 21, 22 and some of them were just shredding already, like ridiculous stuff already. So I was like, I always, always take a step back, like, oh, yeah, I'll just go back and practice some more. <laughs> you actually I... bring up a, a very good point, because I know in a lot of different industries, a lot of people don't do something because they look at someone else who's been doing it for so long and they're mm-hmm. so good at it at that point. How did you overcome or build up that conference where you thought to yourself, I, I can do that? Um. I think I was like 21 at that point because I did go to another music school. I did go to recording engineering school in Ohio, uh, uh, recording workshop, but that we go into that later. But I, from that point, it was just watching a lot of people. But when I knew I was ready, when I wrote my first song, I think I was about 21, 22. Cause even I asked my teacher, like, when am I going to write a song? When am I going to write a song? When is it going to come? And he just said, it just comes. He didn't have an answer because he's classically trained. Randy Ferry was classically trained. His parents were classic, uh, classical pianists. And 
he was already in the music world at a very young age. He said, it'll just come. You just keep trying and it'll come. And that's exactly what happened. And then I formed a band uh, with a friend of mine who was just getting into doing singing and vocals and stuff like that. And we just teamed up together. And then we put a speed metal band together called Deadly Fate years ago. And that was my first exposure to actually being a lead guitar player in a band, writing most of the music, being the worst thing to every singer on the face of this earth because I have no format. I just riffed away. Ronson would say the same thing. He would just like riff away. My mentor says the same thing. You just riff away. You don't even think about a singer. I'm a singer's worst nightmare. Are you still that way now or have you improved? Yes. Yeah, no, I'm still that way now. <laughs> I'm still that way now. Now, I'm an, kind of, oh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I'm Ronson, pain in the butt. I'm a, I'm his biggest pain in the butt when we're writing music. Like even when he told me, like he told while well, we were working with uh, Mark Dollar at the time, a local producer. He told him like, Maurice, tell when you guys start writing, like he needs to wait for me or whatever. I, unfortunately, I didn't. It just all the music flowed, and I had to get in the studio. <laughs> And that's what happened, but it's, I would, I, he can even if, answer if it's easier now on this record coming up. I don't know. I just, I just do what I do. <laughs> and, that, and that's pretty much it. Kind of going back to origin story. I know you said it was, it was a lot of your family, your father, your mother. It was always kind of around you. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm a firm believer that history definitely makes us. Yeah. What would you say that kind of molded you into the person that you needed to be? to succeed in this field you have to be very headstrong you can't let your self-consciousness get in your way you're gonna have those moments i mean me myself personally i can't answer for every musician but sometimes i go through depression at times and i've had issues with it to where i've had to see a therapist or whatever to get past it and and eventually it got to books i was reading there was a specific book i read just to get my mindset ready I was going through a lot of stuff, a lot of stupid stuff that I put myself through. And I wasn't ready to who ended up being my mentor, Carl Cochran. And then I was a father too. So there was a lot of years I didn't play because <clears throat> I didn't touch my guitar. I didn't touch my guitar until about 2008. And it was a rough road back to start playing again, start practicing every day, getting into a schedule. It's hard when you have a, kids, you know, I have my two sons too. My daughter was the youngest, like, She's a daddy's girl. She was always like, daddy, daddy. I pick up the guitar. She would, or whatever. And it was very hard. And I had to sit there and explain to her, like, when daddy's holding the guitar, you're going to have to wait like a little bit. I'll be right with you. <laughs> and then she understood it. You know, even at that age, she must have been about six or seven. That's just how it came to be. Like, it was, it's just very hard to, it was, especially when you deal with depression or I'm just going to go ahead and say it because it's on the album anyway. Uh, I went through drug addiction for a little while, alcohol addiction. So. And I kind of quit all that on my own. I didn't go to rehab or anything like that. So that's also too, I knew how strong I was that I didn't need to go to rehab or AA or an A or like that. Because it, it, it's on the album. There's no point in me hiding it. It's, right. it's clear present. Like, you know, so. Mental health, I'm a very firm. I've gone to therapy also. I've been to therapy with my son. I went to therapy on my own just to kind of, if you've listened to my story from previous podcasts, there was a period of time where I literally lost everything from my school, my job, my car, my wife at the time, my home, and like a six-month period. So I was extremely depressed. 
I didn't go to, you know, any drugs or alcohol or anything like that, but it was more of a, it was a depression where I literally, it took everything in my power for mm. me to get up to go to work. So I didn't go into a, a cycle where it just got worse and worse exactly. and worse and worse. So mm-hmm. I'm a firm, firm believer in, in mental health. And I said this in another episode, don't think you're too manly not to get therapy because it's, it's a beneficial to you. Yeah. And it's even more beneficial to your family because you don't want to pass it on. Right. So what advice uh, would you give someone who kind of wanted to pursue a career similar to yours? I know I know for anything in creative, it's so competitive. Yeah. Like, what advice could you give someone? Just believe in yourself. Practice and trust in your instrument that whatever it is you want to learn, learn your instrument as best as possible. You could go the formal training route like I did. I got accepted to a Musicians Institute when I was 28. And that took courage too, because I took a lot of time because uh, my one band, like I mentioned before, that was the ages like 22 to 25. We were together for like three years practicing. We played out a little bit, not as much as I'd liked, but we played a, a local college radio station, Battle of the Bands contest, WSOU. Um, which we did well there and had a lot of compliments from people. Um, but then I went on to formal training. I mean, you just, that's not needed, but if you want to, that's the way to go. That was my path. Long story short, my father had passed away when I was 24. We buried him two days before my birthday, trying to figure out, I, that time point, I didn't know what I wanted to do musically at that point because my band was disbanded at that point. You know, the scene was changing. It was going to grunge. It was moving away from metal and stuff like that. So, you know, the band disbanded. And I was like, what am I going to do? My father passed away. We just buried him. So it was a good friend of mine, Al. He called me up one day and said, hey, you want to go to a Steve Moore concert? I said, yeah. I didn't really know who he was, but I kind of heard the name in the industry. He was promoting his instrumental record at this club in Old Bridge. I can't think of the name of the club right now, but most people will know if they're from Jersey. And I was watching him play. And while I was watching him play, a kind of epiphany came over me. And I said, I need to learn what he's doing right now. For me to continue on, I need to know. Because I didn't know when I was playing something, I didn't know what it was. Or I didn't know I was playing a diminished nine chord or a major seven chord. or I was just playing chords that I would find fiddling around on a guitar, solo-wise, stuff like that. Like, how did he get that? I mean, I played fast already, but it was, like, fast and kind of sloppy. Like, he was fast and totally clean, you know? So I was just like... So it just dawned on me the next day after the concert, there was a school out in L.A. or Hollywood, California. Because I remember it being mentioned when I was in high school. And it took me a whole day to find out where that school was and the name of the school. And I found it when a magazine, guitar player magazine, which I still have, <laughs> um, what school it was called musicians Institute in Hollywood, California. And then I ended up doing an audition tape and getting the application, but I didn't know I was going to get in. Cause some of the names that came out of there, I knew the drummer for chili peppers came out of there. Dave Navarro oh, wow. came out of there. Like the, all these big names at the time in the nineties and still big today. People know, Oh, there's no way I'm going to get accepted. <laughs> you know, right away, I started pulling myself down. Like, I'm not going to get accepted. I'm not good enough, blah, blah, blah. But I did my audition tape and I got accepted. So it was actually, it was a major point, turning point for me. Because at that point, now when I got to school, I got humbled. Right. 
So I would suggest to anybody now, like if you don't want to go that, find out who your teachers are, go to your local music store, whether it be a local, small, privately owned or guitar center or any place like that and take lessons. I do say you should take lessons. Like if you want to get good, you got to take lessons from somebody that's better than you. And if you're already playing like pretty decently and you, but you don't know what you're doing, like it was in my case, at least let them put a face to it. So at least you'll have a better understanding of what you're doing. And that's what MI was for me. That's exactly what that was for me. Because I listen to an old demo now. I'm like, ooh. Mm. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. The ideas and concepts were really good. The foundation was there. But yeah, no, I'm glad I went to school. <laughs> now, you were talking about practice. I'm, I'm a huge, huge, like when it comes to practice from a writing standpoint, I tell people I write five to 10 pages every single day. Mm. Because if you don't, it's it's a muscle. Doesn't matter if it's music, if it's singing, mm -hmm. if it's writing. If you don't do it for a long period of time, or sometimes not even that long at all, you can tell the difference between when you're playing every day, yeah, and when you're not playing every day. Mm -hmm. So, do you have like a certain type of uh, routine that you do, or something that kind of keeps you uh, focused? Is rather be an accountability partner, or mm -hmm. just how do you stay focused, and what type of practice schedule do you do? so that you continuously get better and you're not just playing the same thing over time, getting comfortable. Sometimes I look up uh, stuff online from other people, but I still have stuff from, I have binders of stuff that I haven't gone through yet. So I'll pull out a binder, whether it be funk rhythms or, or different chords or a jazz progression I could practice with. But I do have a routine now that I'm actually in between you know, because I have to have a regular job to support, but right now I'm right. in between. So I've really gotten a chance to really get back into a practice routine. Not, you don't have to do it, but I see that it helps. Me working out really helps because it helps with the mental focus. So, and I didn't realize that lifting weights actually keeps your fingers like the grip. So when I'm, oh. so say like when, say I don't have time to practice for like three, four days, you know? And I'm trying to write a solo like for a specific thing. Like I feel like I gotta warm up. I do warm up, but do my warm-ups and stuff like that. But it feels like I didn't not play for five days or four days because I was busy with something else or personal issues or whatever. So <clears throat> that does help too. At least helped me anyway. Um, but I do have a practice routine. I'll go through scales or modes. And most of my practice really now is off of my own music. So if I'm <clears throat> like writing a solo, like pretty soon I'll be doing solos. A good friend of ours, Meno Probatin, who's a bass player out of LA. Uh, we met when we were going to Musicians Institute. He's doing all the bass tracks on this new record oh, wow. so for us. So like once that's done, then I'll start going over the solos, maybe a little bit while Aaron's doing the vocals. So that's kind of like my practice. So I kind of get comfortable with, like if a solo's already in my head, <clears throat> then I'll try and get it down. Sometimes I can't work it out completely unless I'm really playing or whatever. So that's kind of like my practice schedule. Um, going over stuff that MI gave me years ago, I still go over like simple stuff that they gave me or certain teachers that I admired and had their class or whatever. <clears throat> um, I still go over that stuff. But then for a while, since 2008, I met Carl Cochran. He was my mentor. He was my mentor for the next six years helped me start the recording process of this record unfortunately he had a stroke i'm getting the dates mixed up but it might have been like 2011 2012 i think um 
but he's better. He's rehab and all that stuff. He's back to health and everything like that. But he was a huge influence on getting me back because he was like a big brother to me. Oh, nice. He wasn't like a teacher. One of the books I mentioned um, that I read to get myself straight was Happy Fury, uh, Way of the Samurai or Book of the Samurai. Yes. So I read that philosophy, Senpai Kohai mentorship kind of thing. So I didn't want to do anything. One of the things I picked up was also too that I didn't want to do anything to dishonor him because I respected him so much as a guitar player, musician, independent musician. Um, there was even a time he did a song for uh, Disney. I'm not going to mention the size of the check, but when I saw the check, I said, didn't I tell you I want to be your idol, man? <laughs> you know, but what he achieved is what I want to achieve. I want a house of my own, a studio in my own house and, and stuff like that. He's achieved that. And I looked for that as a stepping stone. So that's why, like, that was like my rebirth of music. Like, he was very important to where I am right now. And I would play like acoustic sets with him. He'd invite like some of his students out. And that's what got me to start get not getting nervous about playing out again. Cause I didn't play out for years. So, you know, he broke me out of that shell too. And, and now here we are, you know, for the most part. Now you were saying uh, you had a certain books that you use that help you with your practice. Were there any other, I would say resources that have kind of helped you along the way? I mean, I don't know if I can mention somebody's famous, like a guitar player, but I had, uh, take it not I didn't take lessons from him personally i like watched him for like other online i had a dvd of him uh john petrucci from dream theater so i was doing a lot of his practice stuff that was on the dvd and i still do some of his stretching exercises and scale runs and stuff even though i don't add that his style into my music but he was like kind of a turning point too because of the way he was playing was you know something i wanted to do it was different where he was coming from another guy too tony mcalpine is another longtime idol since i started playing guitar him and hendrix they're two very different genres but tony mcalpine neoclassical guitar player graduated from juilliard you know i don't think he went into juilliard as a classical guitarist he went in as a, as a violin and viola player and piano but he ended up playing a lot of neoclassical metal instrumentals and stuff like that now he's a lot into if I'm, you know, correct, like metal fusion and, you know, a mixture of jazz and metal, some projects he's been on. And I've kind of followed some of that too. And had Carl, like, what is he doing there? Cause I can't pick up all of it. And then he would sit there and work it out. Like sometimes depending on how difficult it is, he would say like, yeah, I need some time with this, <laughs> you know? And then the next lesson we'd be right there trying to play it and actually playing it note for note and stuff. So that helped too. Um, other books really nothing really other than you know i try to not follow a lot of people online what they're doing like guitar wise because i still want it the one thing i mentioned the call i want my own voice right i don't want to be like i admire john petrucci but i don't want to sound like him i admire tony mccalpine but i don't want to sound like him you know i want to sound like maurice edwards like that's what i want to sound like. i want serenity's muse to sound like you know serenity's muse i mean yeah we're all influenced by other stuff and that's always going to come out that's unavoidable Absolutely. because I've heard everything from us from about us, like Rush, King's X, Dream Theater, without the heavy guitar runs to, you know, Metallica, you know, all those kind of bands. Like it's all kind of mixed in together with some somewhat. Well, the newer stuff to me has more some new metal, but not a lot 
kind of sound, but I still like to say it's more me than anything else because, you know, you know, Ronston's going to be yelling at me because he's trying to write lyrics to this company, having a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you, you made a, um, I've noticed something in this conversation and, and it, it happens a lot from any artist that's at a, a high level of skill of what they do. Every one of them has a very firm foundation on mm. those that came before them. Yeah. Uh, my friend Chesney Snow, who's an actor, can spit off names and teachers and techniques for days. Mm. Same thing with you. You're able to uh, speak about these people and you know the references and who you follow and who you listen to. Mm-hmm. Are there several people i know carl cochran is is definitely a major influence is there anyone else out there that have truly been influential because i i truly believe no one can become great on their mm-hmm. own rather be someone you know of or rather just be something that someone that you know directly um well you mentioned carl of course as far as other players that i've I already mentioned tournament calpine um i already mentioned uh, Joe Satriani is another one. I'd have to say, I can't not say this name. Alex Lifeson from Rush is a major influence. You hear his chords all over the on my record a lot, our record a lot. As a band, I can point out the chords and be like, yep, that's Alex. Yep, that's Alex. Yep, that's Alex. Also Hendrix too, you know, because till I went to school, I didn't know I played a lot of inverted chords. Intel and Hendrix is notorious for playing inverted chords. You know, so me listening to Hendrix for a lot of years, I just naturally picked up inverted chords without even knowing whether it was the first inversion, second inversion, third inversion, or whatever. I didn't I didn't know until I went. You know. Um, who else? How can I not mention Steve Ray Vaughan? Was a major influence too. I don't play like him, but just the way his style and he played was just amazing. I, I struggle, believe it or not, I struggle playing blues like that. But because I guess everything in my house was jazz. So when I started taking jazz classes at and courses at MI, I kind of picked up stuff real fast, faster than playing blues. A lot of my solos are bluesy and I use some blues chords when I'm writing music, but then I'll run off into a three note strings scale or whatever the case may be or a double octave scale or two hand tapping situation um which is going to be heard more on the second album this album coming me playing like that um but those are the big names that have really influenced me um you know and of course my dad being a singer you know just him you know of course i cannot not mention that he did he has the biggest part out of everybody nice because he was telling me who the musician was their history he was a big miles davis fan so like constantly hearing miles davis in the house even old stuff like duke ellington cab calloway these are the names that i know yeah yeah <laughs> pretty much yeah so even buddy rich a drummer to you know all those names that he came up growing up listening to before he ended up joining the service you know now- one of the things I wanted to get into now with you is, you know, we talk about a lot of the references and how you're coming up. Sure. But as an independent artist, right, it's totally different. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with it's it's in every industry. Yeah. How do you survive or make it as an independent artist, not having that big name behind you? Is it a lot more work? Is it more marketing? Is it yeah. how do you lot- go about getting 
that work? You did some work with some of the, you know, for the, some of the films, you do stuff for the Twitch. How do you find those opportunities or how do you create those opportunities? For me, it was, I was lucky. It's friends. I had a friend that went to New York Film Academy and I did some music for some of his short films. As far as the Twitch channel stuff, uh, we were just starting to get into that. Uh, Ronston and I did a song for one um, Twitch channel, which from where I worked, I would meet gamers all the time. So um, that's how that got started. Plus my brother, you know, he has a big mouth. So he's always talking about me and how great I am. You know, um, <laughs> um, that's, so that's how, I mean, he's a Twitch channel host. He doesn't do it much now. He works a lot, but he still every now and then goes on. So I did his uh, music for his intro music. I did an instrumental for him, but for Iron Giant, um, I did a, he wanted a full song. So we did, uh, Ronson wrote the lyrics, I wrote the music, and we recorded it here in our studio here. Well, it's his studio, just to be honest. Um, <laughs> um, and we did it here and um and then once that started my job got busy again where we worked so i didn't have time to there was one more i was supposed to do uh for a podcast host another friend of mine but once we got busy where we all worked we all worked at the same place and i didn't have time to do it but i haven't forgotten that we wanted to get to it so things are starting to lighten up um, so I'll talk to him whenever, cause we all hang out together. So I always see him. So if he ever wants it again, he knows all he's got to do is ask or whatever. So it's not a big problem, you know, but there was so, a time where I had to kind of stop and focus on what we were doing too. So most of it is like, I have friends that are just artists, you know, I'm my own and my brother, he's got a big mouth. Like, he, <laughs> you know, he's kind of like my agent too. He's kind of like Ari Gold <laughs> when he wants to be. Oh, yes. <laughs> I used to love that show. <laughs> I love that show too. Um, so he's always like, you know, talking me up and stuff like that because I'm more quiet and reserved. And I think that's the one thing you can't be that way in this industry now because everything's internet. You know, you kind of got to be seen, have an internet presence and stuff like that. So, you know, right now, you know, I'm trying to work that back up again to do it again and start, you know, being seen. So like, that's the only way you can do it now is just promote yourself online. That's, that's the only way. What you is know? your, what is your, your, your end game, your goal? You have the first album. Uh, mm -hmm. What's the name of the first album? Oh, it's just self-titled. Oh, so, oh okay. Self-titled, yeah. Serenity mm -hmm. Muse. And you're working on your second one now. Yeah. Uh, what, are, what are your goals? I know with COVID, things are starting to open up a little bit with yeah, shows. Very slow. But what is kind of, what is your strategy or what are you looking to do with the music thing? Right now it's, once everything, um, I really want to push Serenity's Muse, you know, because this is kind of like my baby. I brought, Aaron was nice enough to believe in the project and as talented as he is, he's part of the project too. Um, our goal really is more marketing based right now. Um, and then, sad to say, we really don't want to target U.S. Ross and I kind of have the same feeling about that. Um, Europe is kind of where we want to be, um, but it's hard to get there. You know, it's not easy. I have a friend that, um, she did our logo. She lives out in Scotland. She told us things are still closed over there. They're still kind of on lockdown over there. So it's like, <clears throat> there's really not much, you know, you can do, but keep plugging away 
and hopefully the opportunity will present itself. Um, there's definitely, I have another album after this one in me to do. Um, but we, you know, I'm always the guy like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. I can't sit, you know, and everybody's always the same. Like my mother, like, will you calm down? <laughs> like, you can only you move can. so fast, you know, it's like, I just wanted to go, 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 let's go, 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 you know, and I can't, you know, you know, that could be the workout thing too, that doing it, <laughs> that kind of, you know, personality kind of let's go, let's go. But my mom's kind of what you have to be though. Yeah. It's kind of what you have to be. You have to have that, that go get them. I can't wait until tomorrow because tomorrow's not promised. I have to do it right now. Yeah. So a lot of people tell me, Hey, James, Will James, you're like the, the luckiest guy I know. I said, yeah, I don't really consider it luck. It just, I do so much mm -hmm. that stuff just happens to happen. <clears throat> right. So it's, you know, you throw enough stuff on the wall strategically, mm -hmm. it's going, something's going to hit. It's just yeah. a matter of most people aren't willing to put in that consistent work. You yeah. can't work for a week or a month and sometimes not even a year and expect to get the results that you want. Yeah. It's a grind. Like you yeah. have to continuously mm -hmm. because no one's, the first time someone <clears throat> hears you, they're like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. The yeah. second time they hear you, it's like it starts to catch on. The third time they hear you. So it takes a few times for for someone, even mm -hmm. for a channel, they have to listen to you three, four, five times before they subscribe or three, four, right. five times before they say, you know what? I want to buy the album. Nothing right. happens right away. And people have to understand you can't expect the moment someone sees something that you do, mm -hmm. they're going to like it or want it right away. Right. They have to keep continuously. It has to be in their ear rather be this album your second album your third album whichever mm -hmm. one it whichever one it is but yeah. eventually people will it's it's a matter it's it's a longevity it's do you have that that pain tolerance to actually survive especially yeah. as uh, an independent artist where you're doing everything yourself yeah pretty much i mean and we always have to either ask friends to play on the record or whatever like like i said man i've forgotten he's doing all the bass tracks mo watson a local drummer here who's heavy into the scene as an independent drummer we were lucky enough that he was able to do play all the drum tracks on it oh, wow. and stuff like that and you know and mark dollar was engineered all the drum tracks and stuff like that and put it all together for us and helped it and stuff but you know with covid around it's still lingering around yeah things are opening up but for an right. upcoming band it's virtually i wouldn't say impossible but it's kind of hard when you got life events going on too and you're like you just can't sit online all day and talk to our heart's content or play all day you know i can't i have to have a job to support what i want to do so it's hard but you know things are starting to open up where i can start getting to that having an internet presence because also i want to start teaching privately so, oh okay cool now you've you've been doing music for a very long time and I'm definitely going to get back to you with the teaching thing. Is there like a common myth or something that you've heard over the years in your profession, rather be in playing, rather be in writing, singing, anything in just the music industry that you would say is a myth that you'd like to debunk? Um, not really, to be honest, because from what I've seen my father and, and North Jersey Philharmonic go through, friends go through. I had no illusions about the music business and how hard it is. Um, like I said, I, I've seen, like I said, I was also an engineer or as an intern engineer at House of Music Recording Studios. I've seen 
I've worked with certain members of Cool in the Game come in because they were friends with the producer there, Kali's, um, which had his own studio on the upper floor. Uh, that's who I worked with. I was introduced to him by um, somebody I was working with that had a small independent rap label um, in East Orange years ago. Um, but I had no delusions about how hard it is to be in music. I never thought it was easy. You know, some people, I think the illusion that today, oh, you do a YouTube video, next thing you're the next biggest sensation and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's not like that for 98% of us. <laughs> you know, we took years, learned our craft, went to school maybe, had a mentor, a local guy that was really good and had a strong music career, had their own studio, whatever, if you're lucky enough, you know, and then finding the right people to play with because also too, you don't find the right people to play with because some people are wishy-washy. They don't, they, they want to play. Yeah, I want to be in a band, but the reality is they don't want to really do the work. They want, you know, they want to just not do the work. That's the best way to put that. So I have no really delusions or any myths about anything. I've seen friends that had the most amazing bands ever. I'm going to go ahead and mention them, Zedon. They would sell out clubs all over back in the day. Here they are. They they struggled to make it too. They unfortunately they got close to the door, but things happen and things go wrong. Like every musician or every band, you know. Then that comes with the territory, you know. That just is what it is, you know. Um, for my sake, I just for me it was a lot of things going wrong in my life at the time, and I turned to music to break out of that, you know. And do I think Serenity's music is going to be the next big thing? I don't know. I have no clue. The way things are right now, I seriously doubt it. But if we can just go around and make money and be comfortable, a little money here and there and get into other projects, doing other things, I don't want to just be in a band. Yeah, sure, I would like to write a score for a video game. They're doing the independent film thing told me that, you know, for my friend Casey, that I can do that. And I actually could sit there and read a script and then pick up my guitar or see a clip of the movie and pick up my guitar and start writing right then and there. So I know I could do it. It's just having the right contacts to get there to do it. Because music business is, you could be great as hell, greatest player. But if you don't know anybody, you're not going to get any, you're not going to get too far. And then the road is very hard. It's just a lot harder. You can get there. It's just going to be a lot harder. Yeah, I'm a firm believer. It's not what you know all the time. It's who you know and who knows you. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. this is one part why I, I like to switch it up. And I asked my guests if we could switch places mm -hmm. and you were the interviewer and I was the interviewee. Is there a question that I didn't ask that you would have liked to answer? Or is there a question that you would like to ask me? Um, yeah, so I'd like to ask you a question. Sure. Sure. So because my brother's a writer. So. And he goes through his depression too. What was it for you to make you realize that, you know, you already knew you wanted to be a writer, but what was it that got you back on track as a writer? Did you just constantly write even during your depressive state? Or did you just wait till you got better? I'm not saying that about my brother, like he's depressed, but he does go through his moment, you know? So when... When I was in high school, writing wasn't cool, so no one even knew I did it. But I would win all these awards, state competition, the whole night, no one knew. When I went to college, 
did not write at all. I mean, I was focusing on school, focusing on electrical engineering, mind computer science. Mm-hmm. Just it never came up. When I lost everything, I literally there was one night where I was sitting in my room trying to figure out what could I do to get out of this. At the time, I was in that mindset. I'm not going to therapy. I'm not speaking to anybody. And I was mm-hmm. closed off because right. when I was when I first moved to New York from Atlanta from Georgia Tech, I didn't know anyone in New York, mm-hmm. my coworkers. But I just met you. I'm not going to share that type of information with someone I just met. Right. I had no family, barely any friends. At the time, I uh, my ex wife, we we were basically falling apart. So I was alone. Mm-hmm. So I didn't wait until I got out of it to write. Mm-hmm. Writing helped me get out of it. Yeah. So what I would do is I would go and I, I wanted to be around people because I, I was I was afraid because of things that I had done that I didn't want to be left alone. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is I would go to South Shore Mall and over time I literally came known, oh, that's that guy that writes poetry in a food court. Like every because I would I was literally there seven days a week mm-hmm. for two, three hours. And I would I would have a book bag. I'd have three notebooks and some pens. And I would write, I would probably say 10 to 15 poems a day. I have yeah. a stock, a stock, a stack of mm-hmm. thousands of poems that mm-hmm. I wrote right. within maybe a six month to a year period. Cause I mean, when I, I say I was writing and that's, I, I was actually thinking about that when you said that before about you, you lifting weights helps with the, the, the hand strength. Yeah. Because when I was writing that much before, because I didn't have a computer, I just had my notebook and my and my pen. I could write for hours mm-hmm. and feel nothing because my hand was strained for it. Right. The other day my cousin bought one of um my cousin bought my book and he asked me to sign the book. I literally wrote one page and my hand was tired because I just don't write anymore. Right. So it was I was writing so much and that writing and I wasn't writing anything for anyone else. Right. I was writing at that moment. It was almost my, I guess you could say I was self-therapy. Right. So I was writing everything that was on my mind, everything that I was afraid to tell everyone else is mm. what I was writing. Right. And I never realized I had that much going on in my head that I literally could just write and write and write and write. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't writing the same thing over and over. And I just had all these ideas. And when I would write for two, three hours, mm-hmm. I would feel good for the rest of the day. But right. then when I go home and I'd be alone again, I would start feeling the same way. Then I'd go to work. I do my right. job. And during the day, I would just keep thinking about stuff. And now I'd mm-hmm. go back to that full court and I would just write and write and write and write. Mm-hmm. Now, over that that year time, because I was in that full court writing all the time, people started taking a notice some people who'd seen me literally for two, three months, it was like, I see you in the food court all the time. What are you doing? I was like, no, nah, just writing. It was like, you mind if I read some of it? And I was like, yeah, sure, go ahead. And they would read it. And it's, wow, this is actually really mm-hmm. good. Have you decided to, do you do anything with this? I'm like, nah, just, just trying to get some stuff off my head. Mm-hmm. So I started becoming known. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because of that, there were people... I started getting opportunities from people. Like I, I ended up writing for, uh, I was a, I got my first feature at 
Suffolk Community College in Long Island. Mm -hmm. okay. And I was able to get other work where it's like, oh, okay, people can actually benefit from the stuff that I'm writing, not mm -hmm. just me. Right. So that helped me to, I started focusing more not on my problems, but more on how I could use what I was writing mm -hmm. to benefit someone else that might be going through the same thing. Right. So long story short, I didn't use, I didn't start writing after I felt better. Mm -hmm. If I didn't have writing, I don't know if I ever would have gotten better. Right. Because all that would have been bottled up, bottled up. Mm -hmm. And I had no way to release it. I had no one to talk to. I didn't have insurance. I didn't have money to go to therapists. I was too prideful to even go to therapists. Mm -hmm. So literally it was, you have to get this out of your system or I was going to implode and it was going to affect every area of my life from my work to whatever relationship that I wanted to do to, right. to, to potentially get into in the future. Right. I had to. <clears throat> so I, yeah. I feel that to anyway, if, if you're going through like a state of depression or you're going through hard times in your life, mm -hmm. you have to find some release. Yeah. I don't care if it's learn to play an instrument, learn to play chess, go take a martial arts class and punch mm -hmm. a bag for an hour, right. go to the gym and lift to your arms feel like they're going to fall off. <laughs> Whatever you have to do, you have to release that physically, but more so mentally. Right. Because you can be as physically tired as you want and you can go to sleep and it's going away with your mental. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard the term mentally drain? Yeah. Mentally drain is I don't care how much you sleep. Mm -hmm. When you wake up, you still tired. You just feel completely drained. I don't care how much coffee you drink. I don't care how much rhodiola or any energy Supplement. red bulls you take. <laughs> yeah. doesn't matter. You mm -hmm. were, you just drained and you have no idea why. It's because your mind you're focusing so much on the negative that, and, and it's a choice. Yeah, and yeah. I, I know they always tell you, oh, it's a choice. You're choosing to be sad. You don't want to hear it when you're going through it. Yeah. But it actually is. I, I had this conversation with my mom the other day about, you know, work. And I say, you just, if you like it or you don't like it, you just have to go in, in with the mentality. You have a job. You can right. go in. You right. did wake up today. Mm -hmm. And the moment you start looking at it differently, no matter how bad it is, there's always positive that you can focus on. Mm -hmm. You may not want to look at the positive, but it's there somewhere. Rather yeah. be your kids. In my case, my kid was the best thing ever happened to me. My son, he just turned 19 last month. Mm -hmm. Best thing ever happened to me because now it forced me to not be depressed at times because I didn't want him to see me in that state. Mm. And and I knew I had to find a way to be positive right. because I knew when my son was born, I knew there were other people looking at me. It wasn't just about me anymore. Yeah. So I, I hope that kind of answered the question. But writing no. and just other things, that was that was a, a big part of my life. And it's truly my passion. Yeah, I, I'm a programmer, software engineer, architect by day to basically pay my bills and fund everything that I do. Right. But my true passion, which I'm starting to monetize now through my books and the podcasts and other things, right. hands down, my goal is I want to write full time because I know that is going to make more of a difference mm -hmm. than anything that I can do through code. Code, yeah, I can build an application. People can use it. It might make their life easier. But the words that I write will actually have more of an impact 
generationally from people who I'm a firm believer when I speak to someone mm-hmm. or I work with someone or I mentor someone or someone mentors me, when you are connected to other people, mm-hmm. it makes everything in life a lot more possible. And for me, that writing was that other person that I didn't have. Right. Exactly. No, I agree with that totally. Cause that's what, you know, that's how this album came about. Same thing. I was unhappy. Um, I was upset that I dropped out of school. I dropped out of school for the wrong reason, you know, that I found out later. I was misinformed about something um, with my spouse at the time. Um, And then when she finally kind of, I forced her to tell me the reason. And then when she told me, I literally, it didn't make it any better. It just sunk me even worse. Because if I was just, and I hung on that information for so long that it was just like, it was pulling me down and just kept pulling me down, you know, I have to say that, you know, my drug addiction was keeping me from thinking about it. I didn't want to think about it. I knew I made a mistake, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it was to the point where I got to a point where certain things were going on in the household, just lost complete control. I don't really want to get into it too much because, you know, she's not here to defend herself or or whatever. So, I mean, that it was this craziness all the time. And I just, got to the point where I would come home and I would hate coming home. I would look at our house. It was really, and then just be like, I don't even want to go in the house right now because I know when I get inside that door, I know what I'm going to be dealing with, you know? And it was just other family members, you know? Uh, One of my, I mean, they're my sons. I mean, I've known them since they were kids, you know? And one of my sons, unfortunately, has a bad drug addiction and been had it for a long time and we're amazed as a family that he is still here you know um we want him to get help but it's like he doesn't want to you can't force him you know to get help we all love him he knows that day in day out but he still insists on doing what he does and unfortunately he's living with his mother in arizona like because we're from new jersey and that was pretty much caused us to split was that you know i didn't want to move to arizona i'm not giving up my project it was like Leaving California when I went to music school, I dropped everything just to make her happy, you know, even though she agreed to come out to California, you know, and then changed her mind. But, and then, you know, when my daughter came, you know, I had to shield her from a lot of stuff, you know, that was going on in our house, you know, Um, it was just sometimes a little too much for a child to be dealing with. And then even with my drug addiction, hiding it from her, you know, that, you know, so I remember like sometimes she'd be lying in her bed and because I just put her to bed and I rub her back and I say, you know, I'm sorry, your dad's such an F up right now, but I'm not going to be forever because I can't be for you. I can't, I can't, I just need to find a way to say I've had enough. And eventually I did, you know, um, it's just, so I relate to what you said, like, is this, when I started picking up my guitar, and I sobered up by myself, you know, and it was different. My spouse and I sobered up together, you know, we were doing it together, you know, and I stopped first. And unfortunately she had some series of events that kind of somewhat kept her going, you know, like when her mom passed away and it was hard for her to deal with because her and her mom were really, really close. And I understood it, but at the time I was like, I can't do this anymore. 
I can't. And she didn't last long after I quit. She followed maybe a month later, two months later. I don't know, remember for sure. But, you know, and then she quit. But we still had issues with, and I've already kind of let go of what happened in California, what I gave up and everything like that. But we still had issues too. And I wasn't, you know, when I started playing again, she, I guess in some ways, she was intimidated by it. You know, you know, musicians are known for what? Always having women around. But I wasn't never like that. She knows that. But, you know, she just, you know, she got past it, but it was always, it was always like those little comments, you know, like, oh, you're going to the studio again? Are you taking lessons again? Like, it was always those little things. Are you playing out again tonight? Like, it was always like those little digs and stuff like that. And she thought about it later because we talked about it. You know, we had to split to talk about it because we had to remain friends for the kids. Absolutely. Yes. You know, and then my daughter was everything. My daughter's everything to me. She just turned 19 too this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. It, it, I just, I still find that crazy. Like my son's birthday was October 18th. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, 19. That's, yeah. I just, Even I know my, to some people they might be young, but to me, that's just crazy. It went by so fast. Even my son, Jonathan had a, an event a few weeks ago, you know, with, with drugs. It kind of ran in the family. I have to admit it, it ran in the family. Like he, he OD'd, literally died on the way to the hospital and they revived him. He's lost his girlfriend, unfortunately, behind that. But I've never seen somebody turn to do such a major turnaround from that life event. He could have sunk down. He did for a little while and I was staying with him for a while. He said me being there in his apartment kind of helped him get himself back together. Now he's like- Oh, so he, he's good now. Yeah, he's good now. Like he's big time businessman trying to do his thing. Got several oh, projects going on at once. Congratulations. You know, yeah. So I'm very proud of him. I'm proud of Christopher too. I just need him. I just really would love to see him get his life straight. That's right. all I want him to do. And then Jasmine, she's like me and her brothers and her mother, like already tattooed already. You know, she's more like me. She has like quotes on her arm about life. You know, life doesn't beat you down. You just get stronger. You know, just like, oh my God, I'm like witnessing <laughs> the rebirth of myself my own image and stuff. I thought all I needed to do was start playing the seven string Ibanez and we good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, she works with children and I'm very proud of her too. You know, very proud of her. She works with autistic children and you know, and that's what she wanted to do. And I'm proud of her too. So I'm proud of all my kids, even though they have their struggles and stuff like do. that. Yeah. So it's, you just gotta be there to support them. Yeah. And support them. Here's a time where I, I like this, Kind of give you a moment to shine. You have Serenity Muse, your band. You mm-hmm. also have the, the album that you finished early this year and the one you're working on. Mm-hmm. I want to give you this time kind of just talk about your projects. What would you like our listeners to know about you and where they mm-hmm. can connect with you online or any of the projects that you're working on or have worked on before? Sure. Um, all the, al- the album is on um, Apple Music, Amazon Music, um, and Spotify and other various um, streaming services for music. Um, I'm just gonna start teaching soon. I'm still trying to work out the logistics of when I'm gonna start, and cause I gotta have time for, like I said, gotta have a job. You know, I'm steadily looking for a job now, a regular job to pay for my musical habit and my bills. So, <clears throat> but you can reach me on Facebook. You can direct message me under Maurice Edward. It's the same thing under Instagram. 
You can reach Serenity's Muse under Instagram um, and Facebook. You can just direct message us through there. Um, or you could reach uh, Lionheart Records, which is uh, Bronston's label that he's running independently. Um, Lionheart Records at gmail.com or Lionheart Records LLC at gmail.com. So you can reach us through there also. So, and hopefully the teaching thing will be about after the holidays. Because right now, um, I'm possibly going to be working for my son because of the things he's got going on. And I'll be using his apartment uh, to teach out of. Um, hopefully I'll have my own apartment in a few months after that. So, okay, cool. But so I'll update any, people. Any of the connections, uh, any of the social media, I'll actually just have in the and the page itself on the YouTube and okay. I'll have in the description. So Good. anyone who is looking to connect with him, you can reach out to me if you can't seem to find it anywhere, but it's also going to be on the podcast and also in the description also. Good. Thank you. So one of the things that, uh, this is kind of my signature question. I ask everyone that comes on the show. Sure. There is no happy path when you go through this entire industry. What was kind of your darkest moment during your journey? And how did you cope and overcome it? How did you become that stronger person that became the person you needed to be mm -hmm. to get out of that moment? Because we've all had them. Yeah. Um, my darkest moment, obviously, was my coke addiction for a while. For, it lasted a few years. Um, my daughter was my main strength um, to get up out of that. Um, reading um, Way of the Samurai was another one. Um, because I used to be into martial arts when I was younger. I studied ninjutsu for about three years, four years. So I was always interested in Japan. I still want to go to Japan. Uh, hopefully one day I'll still be able to go. Um, um, just my own personality, being strong. I know I was a strong person. and I just had a, a lapse of weakness, you know, um, that lasted too long. I, I relapsed. When I did quit, I did relapse. And I think I was... Carl Cochran kind of put it in perspective for me. He's like, because you were in love with your wife, that it didn't bother you to do it again when she offered. So <clears throat> because she was going through a period or whatever with her mother passing and stuff like that. And you know what? And I guess me just saying enough, I can't do this anymore. Like I got a pain in my chest. I can't, I can't do this. Like I'm going to end up like, I even put it to her this way. What if I keeled over and died right now? You have to tell my mother what happened. And I think that was kind of like her motivation to quit. But also my motivation to quit was my mother. I'm sorry to say that the younger generation may not respect parents as much coming up. I feared my father. I feared my mother. Like, and I still do to this day. Like, granted, she didn't know about the coke addiction, but she will now when she sees this, and that's fine. But she knew I kind of toyed with alcohol and drugs like a lot, like in my 20s and stuff like that. But but that was my reason for... I was so afraid of my mother taking my daughter away from me. Ah, gotcha. That, that, that's what prompted me to say, you need to get your act together. Not to mention... Um, on a spiritual plane, I'm not highly religious, but because I told my brother David about this. I mean, we're friends, but he's been like a brother to me, too. 
for years. We've known each other since 2004. Um, so I told him, I woke up, had a nightmare. And the nightmare was my dad. But I didn't know what he was telling me. My dad's been gone since 94. I mean, yeah, since 94. I had a dream about my dad. And the last thing I remember that woke me up, because I was in a deep sleep. I kept hearing, like, Maurice, wake up. Maurice, wake up. And then he went into his military voice. Maurice, wake up. And I was like, what? Yes, sir. And I kind of had to, like, think about my brother, told David. I told him about it. He's like, you got to think about what he's mad about. You have to think about what he's mad about. You didn't maybe didn't get the whole conversation. I kind of thought about it and pieced together. Me still getting high. My, uh, my daughter's mother is still getting high. We're still doing it together, getting it together. Both my sons are getting high. And my daughter's in, and my daughter, their sister, is in the midst of all this. Whether you believe that kind of thing or not, but that's how I'm keeping that story because that's what happened to me. And when that dream happened, I quit everything. I feared my father growing up, you know, because he's ex-military. He was not a tall guy, but he was like a real stocky guy, like, you know, didn't play around kind of thing. And that's what kind of like brought me back to my childhood when he wake me up on a Saturday to go wherever he wanted to go with him, you know? And it was just like that. I knew he was just angry about what was going on and his granddaughter was in the middle of all that. So I just got myself together. Got myself together. Um, I was already writing music, but I, that's when I fell back on it. When I fell back on my habit, you know, then... And it's coincidental that it started again when I was starting to get myself together to start to play music again. And it just kind of like, you know. Made the transition a little easier? Yeah. So it was like, you know, it was almost like bad timing too because it was offered to me. And sometimes I I don't think that she meant to do it on purpose because she was going through her own thing. But I was getting myself together. Already started recording and stuff like that. And she offers this and I fell to it. Which also... Let me know that I wasn't strong enough if something happened right away. Like, because bands touring and, you know, the industry itself, you know, drugs float for free or float around, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, how many artists have fallen because of drugs, like Juice World and so many others? You know, Juice World, yeah. <clears throat> you know, have fallen to their habits, you know, which is very sad, by the way, too. That really he hurt was, me. He was incredible. Yeah. yeah, he was, you know, and my daughter introduced me to his music and I was like wow he's really good and I did my own research on him and stuff but I really had to get myself together and then haven't looked back since and I think that was like 2012 I haven't looked back since yeah I may have occasional beer every now and again with my boys and stuff but it's definitely a controlled situation and I don't trust you know I haven't touched coke in since 2012 congratulations thank you thank you so that was my motivation my dad talking to me from the grave (laughs) <laughs> to kind of like get myself back on track too so uh it is what it I'm, is but i'm not super religious either but i do believe you that because remember i was telling you well you more has a deeper meaning yeah that's that's part of where that name came from well okay was was a couple dreams that eventually happened later on yeah. and it kind of triggered something mm-hmm. and i made a name that always reminds me of that yeah that's why if anybody asks like not, not many people have asked but the number 13 
has a significance and it's somewhat religious too when you look it up um, wikipedia or whatever kind of has a religious background it's because of the last supper there were 13 people yeah. at the last supper and then you spell my name it's 13 letters um oh. <clears throat> uh, a friend that got my life straight with my brother david his name is 13 letters other people and friends that have got my life straight this seemed all weird, weird and coincidental but you know that numbers always was my favorite number for some reason too and i just decided to look it up you know this is why it's on the logo it's in the logo tattooed on my back in japanese you know so and then, you'll love that trip i, I went to uh -huh. i went to tokyo for two weeks because i used to own uh, an esports organization mm -hmm. and we had a major tournament there at the time it was the largest fighting game tournament in history there mm -hmm. If you're into that culture, I, I took Kurobushikai Karate Do Kempo, which is an Okinawan martial arts style. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've took martial arts for many years. And between gaming and martial arts, that was more of a, a mecca <laughs> uh, type of a trip. Because yeah. anything in tech or martial arts, you will find when you go out to Japan. It was, mm -hmm. it was, a, it was a great trip. You'll love it. You, yeah. you have to make that trip. And if I could say something else, too. Yeah. One thing that helped me, too. I don't know where I got it from, but what helped me was I had to pick, I told myself, pick five words right now off the top of your head that mean the most to you. So I kind of like wrote a quote out and it's strength, honor, perseverance, patience, and faith. I remain unbreakable. So those words and unbreakable is tattooed across my back. Okay. You know, so it was like, I took it to the, total limit of getting my back tattooed on it. Um, I always say it when I post something on, on Facebook or Instagram, I always put those words up, hashtag those words up and stuff like that. I even taken a picture of my, uh, those books, uh, way of the samurai, five rings, unfettered mind. And I put them with my swords, took a picture of them and put them up too, with those words. Also, you know, my son, Jonathan bought me those swords. I didn't think he knew I kept them and have them. I still cherish them. I still have them. He bought them for me years ago. Um, but that was, those words meant a lot. And it's funny. <laughs> My spouse at the time, like, well, what about family? I was like, well, that's a given. I don't have, this is for me personally. What I need to get myself together and get to where I want to be. You know, family is always important. That's a given. You know, our kids are important. That's a given. I, didn't, I don't have Absolutely. to put that on my tattoo, that on my back, <laughs> whatever, you know. But anybody who... That's what I suggest to anybody that's going through depression or going through trying to pull yourself out. Like you said, find something to do. Find, learn to play an instrument. Take martial arts. Start working out. Whatever the case may be. Even my, my um, someone people I always know go through depression all the time, and it's just like I try and tell them, you know, these are the kind of things you need to do. But if you really get to that point, you really need to seek help. You really need to get it, you know, because. Not everybody has a hobby. Not everybody feels that they want to do that kind of thing. And when you're suffering from depression, and a matter of fact, the second album is dedicated to a lot. A lot of the subject matter is depression. So it's kind of a prequel to this one. Because this one, if you ever listen to this one, the hardest song is Bottle on there. But everything else on there, it kind of gives an answer to everything. Where this one is the prequel to that, which would have went before this album. It's just straight. Um, it's hard to say straight darkness. I was in a real dark place when I wrote it not too long ago. And it was just, I don't supply the answer, but you, if you listen to both albums, it'll 
if you listen to this one first when it comes out, or if you listen to the one that's out now, which I'd rather you do, you'll have answers to how I got through depression and who was what and who was pivotal and stuff like that. I don't mention them by name, but it was all circumstances. Like, like you wrote poems or my brother would write a book. I wrote an album. It's a concept record without it being a concept. And it was pretty much my life the past 10, 15 years, you know, that I had to struggle to pull myself back up out of that hole I put myself in. I'm just lucky enough that, like I said, I feared my mother, <laughs> mother, and I didn't need to go to NA, and I didn't need to go to AA. But not everybody is like that. Not everybody is. You, you know. I found that any art <clears throat> that lasts the test of time mm-hmm. are usually art pieces that relate to other people. Yeah. Like you can listen to it or read it, and there's something in it that you can see yourself. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that transcend time. Yeah. So that that's I'm actually gonna cop that album after this uh the moment we kind of end this call, yeah. So you have a new fan. I'm definitely Thank gonna you. take a listen. To, I'm definitely gonna Thank take you. a listen to it. Thank you. Though, like, so, the, oh, so go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. I was, I was like, and what built my confidence up too? I was afraid for people to listen to it. Like I recorded it on this little device that you use a SIM card, uh, not a SIM card, like a micro memory card, and I would just bring it with me to work. And listen to it and see what changes I needed to make the music. And actually, the first song I ever wrote was, which is on the album, is back in the day. So I played it for a coworker. He was like, "Hey, can I listen to it?" And I'm like, mm, "You know, I guess. You know, <laughs> I guess you can listen to it. It's really not finished. You know, so don't judge it. You know, blah blah blah." He played like the first, the intro of it. And I said, I'm still just messing around with it, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do because I had just started playing and I just started. That was the first song I wrote in years. He listened to it and he was like, for the first, like, couple of bars, he turned it off. And I was like, this doesn't sound like you're kidding, dude. Like, you're just playing around with something. This sounds, like, serious. Like, you need to finish this and blah, blah, blah. So, unfortunately, I remember what that person looks like. I just don't remember his name. Sorry. Right. But that started also started the ball rolling, you know, to for me to start writing music. And then once I wrote that one, I wrote another one and another one and another one. And I was thinking about what the songs were about. And then sometimes that's how it works for me. Like I'll think of all the titles first and where it's going and then write the music for each title that I thought of. And I'll check it off, make sure, you know, that it's done and stuff like that. That's actually what I did for my, uh, I have a series of books that I'm coming out with after Twisted Fairy Tales. And I actually have the titles for all seven of them. Mm -hmm. And I have, don't know what's going to be in them yet. Mm -hmm. Two of them I do. Well, three of them I do. The other four, I don't know yet, but I'll figure something out. So I I definitely definitely understand that that concept of sometimes you just have to kind of come up with something initially. Mm -hmm. The rest of it would fall into it. Place, especially if you're a creative person. So well, I got a question for you. Where can I find your books? Because oh, we um, seem to have any, like the same artistic thing going on. So I might as well. Uh, every any platform, um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Kindle, Nook, okay. like it's literally any anywhere you can buy a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twisted Fairy Tales, mm-hmm. which is actually a trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, just I release uh, tw- Twisted Fairy Tales: The Untold Truths. Mm-hmm. in may 
I'm finishing Twisted Fairy Tales, The Keepers of the Tales okay. at the end of this month. Okay. And my goal is to finish the third book, Twisted Fairy Tales, The Guardians, uh, by end of second quarter. Oh, okay. So I should be finished those three books. And then I have my other one. This first book was Sparrow's Valley, which I wrote many years ago. And then the second book, which I'm going to start once I finish the second Twisted Fairy Tales book, that book is called The Scriptures from a Madman. Mm-hmm. That's the second part. The first one, Twisted Fairy Tales is three books in chronological order. Mm-hmm. Sparrow's Valley is a seven-part book where all the stories are in parallel, so you can read them in any order, but they're all connected to each other in different ways. Right. Okay. So just it was a, it was a cool concept that I came up with okay. that I, I've I've been excited about actually writing and finishing that project. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Twisted Fairy Tales or Sparrow's Valley under William Moore on any platform. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's that's like here. That's what we're doing. Um, there's this album. The next album is called Life Happens. Ah, I like that title. And the next album is called When Dreams Meet to Heaven. So that will be like the third. I don't know how yet I'm going to record that one yet. That's the one where I said I was going to tune my guitars differently, tune them lower, um, different tuning settings. And then, So all three but, of these are related. Yeah, they're all going to be related. So nice. I'm like, oh, but that album, I promise Ronson. I'm not gonna write one note unless I'm sitting with him because he's got to do the <laughs> vocals. So that'll be the album that I actually learn how to write to a singer or with a singer in mind. Carl would have fixed that problem years ago because he was like, maybe I should just show you how that's really done. And then he was like, you know what? I'm not gonna do that. That could be your actually your niche to break into the industry of writing music or whatever because you don't think of a singer. That just could be your thing and if i change it now you're going to be constantly thinking of you know like oh this is not to a singer you know i might do my old way but then we're like oh no i'm supposed to do it this way so it was like just leave it alone and what will be will be you know so awesome yep so maurice this was absolute pleasure (laughs) um definitely looking forward to listening to music after after we finish this podcast out I'm definitely going to have to speak out to Rob, be like, thank you for, for connecting us, because this was this was definitely an honor. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I had a great time. This is actually my first podcast, so hopefully one of many with you. I would love to do it again when the other album's out, if possible. Uh, oh, like absolutely. You said, yeah, and you mentioned bringing Ronston on later on. I'll give you his information. We'll get it, because like I told you, he's, his story is just as amazing as mine, if not more amazing than mine. And, and there's a... Um... I'm actually starting another channel called The Writer's Journey. Mm-hmm. might be something that you would be interested in uh, coming on. That one's not a podcast. That one's specifically for YouTube, but I'm going over different uh, concepts. And as an independent artist, you definitely might have a lot of uh, feedback that, that would be able to add a lot of value to that channel. Definitely. Definitely. would love to. Awesome. Definitely. So uh, thank you for joining me for this episode of In the Woods. Be mm-hmm. sure to sign up to our email list at moreinthewoods.com so that you don't miss out on our next episode. And follow me at William Moore, the author, on all social media platform. I'm James Wood. Some people know me as William Moore. Uh, Thank you for listening. Thank you for having me.